Markets. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom delivering insights and Dry Shot Boots, the official work boot of Moving Iron Podcast. This edition, uh, my guest is Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and he is uh, pretty much a regular on here every week. So, Sean, how you been today, bud? I'm doing real good, Casey. Finally had. Uh some upward excitement for the first time in uh, a long time. Yep, yep, that is very true. So, Sean is on here. We're going to recap the uh, kind of the, the reports that came out, quarterly stocks report, as well as acreage report, and uh, crop progress all at the same time, kind of hit all the same day today. So, Sean, I guess as you take a look out there and what you saw happening, corn, I think, finished up, uh, whatever it was, 12 and a quarter, I believe, uh, for July corn, and uh, pretty close to that. corn was up maybe, yeah. December corn was up like fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, so know. soybeans were up big. The soybeans were up, you know, around twenty, eighteen, twenty, yeah. something like that. So I guess as you take a look out there, give me your kind of input on what you saw happen today. Let's take the quarterly grain stocks. Uh, okay. We was pretty much what was expected. Soybeans were pretty much what was expected. Um, um, Corn was a little more than the average, but it wasn't. It was within a the margin there. So the quarter of grain stocks didn't really wasn't. It, there was nothing in there that shocked the market or got the market excited in either direction. What really got the market going was the acres. Um, corn acres down five million from the March planting intentions report. That was a big miss. I think the estimate was something yeah, like... Yeah, like 1.8 million. Yeah. Um, so it was a big miss. It was a, it was a big knockdown, and that means, um, you know, that... And we talked about that. We said that this is the year not to bet on the, on the U.S. farmer planting more corn. Uh, we talked about how, because of the economics, because of, of um, uh, last year's experience, that the, the fringe acres uh, were just not going to get planted, despite having good weather. So. Um, so that kind of shaves something like seven hundred million bushels off the top of spreadsheets now because we've lost those acres that are not can't be calculated, assuming a trend line yield, um, and assuming you know that the, the current demand side factors that are being used are correct. And instead of being three point three billion bushel carryout, we're looking at some, you know something like two point five uh, billion bushel carryout. While there's still plenty of corn, Casey, it's a dramatic psychological difference and instead of having corn in the low threes and cash corn under three you know, what this means you know, we should we should have our corn price kind of back to where it always had been in that 360 380 december corn range kind of where we would have been if we never had the pandemic to begin with and so when you look at the december corn contract 350 352 i think we're heading back to normalization because these acres not being planted now changes us back to, well, we have a lot, but it's not anywhere near as overbearing as we thought. And oh, by the way, we haven't even pollinated the corn crop yet. 
yeah. and, and the weather's looking a little sinister. That's kind of where we're at. And with the soybean, everyone thought soybean acres were going to rise, at least a couple of million acres, because everyone sort of felt uh, you know, that if we, if we took a few, a few million off of corn, we had a few million on the, on the soybeans, and it never came in flat uh, from the planning intentions report. So losing 2 million acres of the soybeans that everybody thought you know, means that the expectations have to throttle back down, you know, about 100 million bushels. So you look at the, the soybean ending stocks and you look at, you know, uh, where we are and you take an expectation of 100 million bushels off the top. If you have any kind of weather problems in August, you know, we, and you take two, you know, a couple of, billion, a couple of bushels to make it off of the, of the soybean yield ending stocks in the U.S. we've seen in at least 10 years. So it changes everything. Um, and it appears to me that it's happened. If you remember last year, what was the quintessential two words that everybody talked about, Casey? Prevent plant. Prevent, prevent plant, yeah. plant. And we never quite got the prevent plant bullish number that everyone was talking about, was wanting to see. And we never even heard that this year. And it looks like prevent people imagine because of the economics, because farmers had so much corn sitting out in the field that they hadn't harvested from last season. Yeah. Um, and because that, you know some of the weather that we had with the frost and everything, you know, they just economically didn't make sense to do. It appears this is the year prevent plant actually is going to make a difference. When, when last year it didn't appear to make the difference that everybody thought it was, and that's kind of interesting that what people focused on last year didn't happen. What they didn't focus on this year now is what's happening. Right. <laughs> kind of an interesting twist on how the market operates in the in the social media world that we live in today. Yep. So. All right, so speaking of weather, let's talk about that a little bit. So as you take a look out, the long-term forecast, or long-term, like the next 10-day forecast, I mean, there's some, there's some pockets of rain that kind of pop up here and there in the Corn Belt and those kind of things, but for the most part, it's supposed to be fairly dry and wicked hot. Um, as we go into this weekend, that's going to be a pretty good tale about you know, kind of how things keep progressing forward. So I guess talk about the weather patterns that you're seeing right now and how that's going to play into what we see going on. If you draw a line, Casey, straight down the middle of Iowa. Just draw that straight, straight down the center. To the west, we're, we're looking at, you know, a lot of areas staying very hot and missing a lot of, you know, not getting timely rains during pollination. If you go to the east, as you said, it looks like there's going to be enough spotty rain that, um, and in some places, adequate rain. But the problem is, is that the humidity, the dew points that are that we're looking at are going to be in the mid upper 70s, even to some low 80 dew points in a lot of areas from uh, eastern Iowa, you know, central to the, to the eastern Corn Belt. And in fact, some of the humidity is going to be high. That's to me, that says to me, we talked about the corn yield killers. It's warm, humid nights that does not allow the corn crop to respirate and rest. Um, and if you get a persistent, you know, one to two week period during key pollination and you have warm human nights, uh, it, is a, it can significantly hurt pollination and hurt yields. In fact, we've seen, saw this in 2010 and 2011 where we actually had, in many areas, adequate moisture, but the yields just didn't make it. We actually, uh, you know, the, the USDA and many analysts were optimistic about yields. And then, and then as we moved into August, September, the USDA, Stop yields down, realizing that you know pollination just did not go well, and we think there's a repeat that we could see this go around that we're going to see 
that happened here. And so we're pretty optimistic that the weather's not going to be ideal. It's not a disaster. It's not like this is 2012, you know, one one hundred year drought. That's we're saving that for 21-22. But this is be enough of a problem, Casey, that we think we could shave of the current corn that's on top, on top of the 800 million bushels we just lost because the acres didn't get planted. Now you're, now you're starting to talk about 2 million bushel, 1.8 billion bushel of corn, assuming that the current depressed demand side levels, which is still assuming the death of ethanol, by the way, um, are correct, which we think they're not. We talked about how we feel the demand side expectations are going to have to be increased in the months ahead. So, so where we think we're at, we think we're going to be back to normal corn stocks. We were 1.7, 1.8 that we had in 1918, 17, 2016. And what was corn average? 380 to $4 corn. Yep. So I think that, I think, unless the weather's worse than we think, Casey, later this month, and of course it could be, unless it's worse, I we think we're going back to 380 to $4 corn, where we had been forever. And what, what, but while that's not going to allow for someone to buy the island of Fiji, Right. Um, and retire, it's a heck of a lot <laughs> yeah. better than sub three hour cash coin. And that's what we think. Yeah, yeah better off where we're at there. Okay, so another thing I want to talk to you about real quick too, there's some overnight talk about uh, China stopping some some shipments coming out of uh, Brazil, not buying as much stuff out of Brazil because of, of concerns about the coronavirus and where they're at and what they're doing there. Um, that's got to leave the door open a little bit for uh, the U.S. marketplace to to really maybe even compile on top of this uh, kind of b uh, bullish news so that we I, have coming right now. I, you know, I'm sure you have, and I know I have. I've been watching the uh, interaction between Bolsonaro, the leader of Brazil, and the Chinese, and there has not been good discourse between the two. I mean, the, the right. Bolsonaro has been mm -hmm. very anti-China and, and just not really playing along with. Uh, saying they're all wonderful, all powerful, all being, and, and, and there's been a lot of friction there. And I think that it's, you know, right now, we're, it, it, we're looking, of course, at the virus in Brazil continuing to be probably one of the worst in the world at this point. The Chinese are probably, you know, look, the virus is everywhere, so I think they're just using that as an excuse. I just think they're upset and they're not pleased with Bolsonaro and some of his words and activities. And so, you know, the way the Chinese uh, play this game is, well, I don't like what you're doing. You know, we're going to uh, make sure you feel the economic pain of it. And that means, uh, to the extent that it does, and I think that it will, a little faster, maybe a little more aggressive than it would have otherwise been. So. Yep. Okay, so let's bounce over and talk about rice for a second. So the rice market is, uh, they had their their stock report come out today as well, uh, as long as that, and, and the rice market has got some volatility just because of what's going on in some other key growing areas of the world. So talk about the rice market we see happening there. Rice is a, is a very unique agricultural commodity because it's really the only uh, ag commodity that the world lives off of that doesn't have to be processed. Meaning you take rice, and you can you just you, know, you can eat as you, know, you can come up to eat as is a little water. I mean, you you can just eat as is. We you have to do something to it. You got to bake it. You got to do something to it. Now, don't know people do, but rice is a, is a pure ag commodity that everyone must have when they have nothing else to turn to when they're broke and they're out of food. Rice is what they live off of, and, and they and they keep themselves going. Because of that, there's been a massive uh, hoarding. 
mentality that has developed in Asia. And of course, this has been going on with the virus raging in India, uh, raging in Asia, raging, you know, of course, now again in China, it's like Beijing is shutting down yeah. the whole city of Beijing because they, they can't keep that under control anymore. Um, and so, you know, the, the biggest fear of anyone who rules an Asian country is not having enough rice. I mean, you, can't, you cannot have enough rice or rice or else you're gone. And I mean, maybe gone, gone. You know, that's how they feel about the rice in Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and so uh, because of that, we've had this hoarding mentality. Um, and because of the virus, remember, rice is a highly migrant worker-led planting and harvest. It's not mechanized in Asia. They don't go around with big rice combines and rice crops. It's done by the migrants. And with the shutdowns that we've seen, these migrants have gone and, 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 and there's chaos. Many of them are not coming back. They don't know where, you know, they don't know where they're supposed to go. Uh, they're not comfortable. They're all getting sick. And it's, it's absolute chaos with the migrant worker force in Asia. And so it's really hard to know, can they get the crops planted? Can they get them harvested? Can they get them uh, <laughs> logistically moved in countries that are going through this kind of chaos? Very, very difficult to... Um, uh, to figure that. And, and then, so we're dealing with the U.S. rice market. We literally ran out of rice, of set, what we call Western Hemisphere. We ran out. We went up to $23, $24 July price, which was equivalent to what we went in 2008, as an example. We ran out of Western Hemisphere rice, and the Asians weren't in an interest in selling any of this, so we ran out. So, in the context of running out, um, the U.S. market wants to know for sure that the U.S. is going to have a good crop. We have to have, not only a good crop, we have to have a big crop. So what it's trying to determine is, okay, we've planted more acres, got it, but can we deliver on yield and actually start to rebuild some of these stocks from zero? And we've had very unfavorable weather, again, during the uh, planting season. Um, although, although, of course, because the price is so attractive, the rice farmers found a way to just fly overhead and drop it down. I mean, they, they, they went to all extremes to get it in there. doesn't mean it's going to turn out well, by the way. But we're really, really concerned, Casey, with the active hurricane season. Right. The active hurricane season this year, we already had one system go through New Orleans and Arkansas already, and we haven't got started yet. We are deeply concerned that we're going to have a series of active Tropical hurricane ton of storms that could come right in through that key belt in Arkansas and the deep south at exactly that the rice crop needs dry, warm weather to get harvested. Um, and, 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 we, and if that were to occur, we think there's a very good chance that that may occur, it's all over. The crop's not going to deliver, and, 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 and then it's a mad dash to boulder dash to try to buy whatever supplies are available. And so it's a very interesting market, Casey. And, it, it, it's, it's possible that the September contract could experience another squeeze like July if, if it's viewed that the crop's not going to make it and if we get a hurricane coming in in August or something like that. So it's, it's a market that we've been telling our producers, it's a put, we call it a put option only market, meaning you know, that if you're a producer, you know, instead of making cash sales, you know, we think this is a time to be putting some protection on uh, and leave the top side open in case that happens. It may not happen. Maybe things will work out. We hope it works out. But producers, we feel, you know, need to be looking at protection, not cash sales at this point, until we know more about how this is going to play out. Okay, so with that being said, the uh, 
with having an active hurricane season will bring, if that works out the way it's what you're describing, the uh, cotton market should have some some real struggles, especially when the hurricane season comes through. That's usually during some pretty key uh, producing uh, plant producing times of the year. So, I mean, what what right now we're seeing, I think today cotton closed at sixty one cents, sixty one and a half almost. Um, so I guess as you take a look at the cotton market, uh, they're again heavily hit by the coronavirus and the shutdowns we see happening out there. What what's your thoughts there? Well, first of all, the cotton crop was up nice. I mean, the cotton price was up nicely today because it was also didn't deliver. Right. It was almost a million acres below the, the expectation. In million, this we're talking about thirteen million acre base. So a million on thirteen is yeah, very high bit. percentage loss. Quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, uh, and 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 we already are see, are burning up in central eastern. Uh, central western Texas already. We're already burning up. It's already a, uh, a drought, already well underway. Crop conditions are awful, and it looks like it's going to get worse. So that's so we have that going already. But yes, yes, uh, the history of active hurricane seasons is that heavy rains tend to come into the deep south, uh, into the Texas region, exactly when open bowls are wide open, yep. and they least need deluge and heavy rainfall. Um, and, and yet that's exactly when these hurricanes come in, when those bowls are wide open and very susceptible to not only having uh, lost uh, yield potential, but also lost quality potential. And the U.S. is known for one of the highest quality grades in the world, and when we get too much rain on bowls, even, even if it should survive, the quality of, of, of the fiber goes down, and then you have a shortage of high-quality cotton in the world. And so that really is, a, is another market that could be significantly impacted. And of course, the other market that we talked about and have talked about on this program that's sensitive to an active hurricane season is the orange juice market in Florida, in central Florida, where all the oranges, oranges that are used to process for orange juice are grown. That's another area that is also extremely vulnerable to an active hurricane season. And remember, the coronavirus demand for orange juice has grown in excess of 20% this year because people want more vitamin C. Uh, we had 20 years of declines in the U.S. And so to see a, a year where we've seen demand go up 20% is extraordinary at a time when the U.S. crop is, was small to begin with last year and the Brazilian crop is the lowest in 20 years. Uh, so, it, it, you know, that's another market that can ill afford anything but perfect crops going forward. And obviously, if a hurricane were to come through central Florida, uh, it would just take the crop out for the for next the next crop potential out for next season, and that's just not not something that the orange juice market would take kindly uh, in terms of price. It would have to go up a lot to, to reflect lost supply at a time of historic change in demand due to the coronavirus, which doesn't look like the worries over that's going to be going away anytime soon. The way it looks like the things are going from a from a media and. Uh, Governmental perspective looks like we're worrying about this virus all the way in the fall. It would appear, but it looks right along. So. Well, man, good stuff. It's good to see the markets kind of make a swing across the board. Um, I guess even, I mean, every kind of you know high tides raise all ships. So it, it, we're starting to see some movement in the marketplace into the uh, positive direction. We're getting, uh, you know, from the livestock perspective, we're getting more and more kills every day. Uh, running through the slaughter plant, so that's that bottleneck starting to get and get kind of cleared up, and you're starting to see that reflecting the price a little bit too. So um, it's just a it's a roller coaster ride for sure, and these markets are crazy every day. And if folks are working on what to do next, how they get a hold of you, Sean, so they can 
see what you got going. Best place to start, Casey, is our website at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. They can get a look at some of our podcasts, some of our interviews or, or videos. They can get a sample report, kind of get a feel for how we think and what, how we do things. And if they like what they see, you know, then maybe they, they would seek us out um, to help them you know, kind of manage this increasingly volatile environment that we're in right now. And we'd be glad to do so if they choose to do that. Right on. Well, good deal, Sean. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Uh, make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for uh, all the latest podcasts that I have out there. And then uh, any blogs that I put out as well, make sure you check out there. Also check out movingironllc.com for all the latest uh, information about the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 1 through 3, downtown there on uh, Broadway on the, at the Renaissance Hotel. Sean's going to be one of the speakers, and he's got tons of information he's going to be sharing about a myriad of different options, when, especially when we start talking about weather. You know, and anyone that's listened to the podcast, you know, I've had Sean on here a couple times, we've talked about, you know, what, what, what we're going to see with uh, the La Nina effects on, in uh, the uh, whole sun cycle, sunspot cycles, and those kind of things. So grand solar minimums and those kind of things. And there's, it's, uh, you're starting to see the effects. So I highly recommend anyone going back and listen to those podcasts and then take a look what's going on, and, and you're going to see a lot of correlations to what Sean's been talking about. Um, also, check out the Global Ag Network and the great podcasters there that are bringing great ag content to, uh, to the great podcasters out, the uh, listeners of the podcast out there. And uh, I guess with that, that's about all I've got. Sean, anything else you want to throw out there before we shut things down? Um, I, mean, I, would, I, would, I would just kind of mimic what you just said about uh, you know, this, uh, your, your meeting, your uh, uh, conference coming up. Um, you know, we're going to kind of update where we are on a lot of these cycles. And actually, that's some, some new cycles that we didn't discuss last time that I think will be very foretelling. Because as you know, Casey, we have been warning about 21-22 weather-wise as a quintessential period to feel the first real example of these new weather cycles that are happening. And so I think it's extremely well-timed conference. Anyone going to it, I think, is going to have a really fresh perspective on what to expect and maybe how to adjust how they do farming uh, to, to participate in, and fly through it. So, so I think it's uh, I'm really looking forward to it very much. So. Right on. Well, with that, I am Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving on